Hello everyone and welcome back to The Sandbox, your one-stop shop for gaming news, reviews, interviews and all that other great stuff. Uh, this week I am happy to be joined by the wonderful Kane Plays Games on the podcast. We'll be talking over some of the news stories from this week, including uh, Horizon Forbidden West's delay uh, due to uh, them wanting to avoid crunch, says the game director. Sean Murray says No Man's Sky isn't finished by a long shot. EA uh, admits Battlefield 2042 failed to meet player expectations and then the possibilities around it being blamed on Halo Infinite and COVID and then the subsequent statement they made after that. And then finally we'll be rounding out the news with the 1000 digital only titles estimated to disappear when Nintendo closes the 3DS and Wii U eShops. We talk about the greater narrative of how that could affect further consoles in the future. Followed by that then we have a spotlight piece on the Uncharted game series and of course the new Uncharted movie which just came out in US theatres uh, on the 18th of February and in the UK on the 11th of February and then we'll round out the show and have a quick talk about what's happening next week. So let's get into it. So what have you been up to recently Ken? I know you've obviously been playing through the Uncharted games which we get on to later but I always kind of like to throw out because I've seen you've been streaming a lot of stuff on Twitch so kind of maybe yes. give us a quick rundown on what you've been looking uh, at. You know I've been playing too many video games that's pretty much it <laughs> honestly. Uh, yeah, we went for the Uncharted series off stream whilst also doing the Uncharted series. I've been going through the Batman series. Hmm. Uh, that's been a nightmare on PC. Like, that's been awful. Um, they're, they're great games, but oh my God, they're a nightmare to run on a PC. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, aside from that, you know, just been playing uh, uh, bits and bobs in the meantime, lots of video making, writing scripts, and obviously doing that for my job as well. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a lot of sitting down on an empty Google Doc with um, <laughs> a giant like water bottle being like, right, what do I need to say? And then doing about two-hour recording sessions before going into editing. That's been my last month or so, I want to yeah. say, since the New Year started. Uh, yeah, not, not the busiest New Year, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> well, I mean, the quality's been showing off because your recent videos have been phenomenal. I've been looking forward Thank you so much for every time for one of the Uncharted ones. Despite, and this is going to sound really funny because I invited you on to talk about Uncharted. I have not <laughs> finished an Uncharted game at all. Um, really? <laughs> I started the first one a while back because mm -hmm. it was free on PS Plus and then among, uh, is it Thieves End came free on PS Plus just after that. Um, and I played yeah. a bit of the first one and I think whatever happened with my PlayStation 4... I had to reset my entire like save, oh. so everything had to get wiped. Yeah, and Uncharted one is one of those we just games. We had to do that recently. Yeah, Uncharted, <laughs> Uncharted, the uh, Drake's Fortune is one of those games where it's like, you know, it's fine to go through the first time, but it's not a game I'd revisit. Um, and especially, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's where I'm sat on it. Honestly, um, I really like the story of it, but um, it, it's a series where I've I've played through them. And I feel like out of um, the five that I played, maybe two of them I'd go back to, maybe three. At a yeah, push. I mean, but um, <laughs> yeah. saying that I have yeah. been going through a thief sand at the moment because I was going to go and see the movie, and I know a, a lot of it is pretty much based off the iconography of the fourth game. So I was like, oh, I'll I'll give that a look, and I'm really enjoying that at the moment. Oh my god, it's such a step up from the first game. <laughs> it, 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 it's unreal. Um, because obviously I the way I do this because I'm uh, masochistic to an extent mm. um i play these games back to back so i'll beat one and then the next day i'll start the other one and then i'll do that on stream <laughs> because i like torturing myself apparently and just playing those back to back and then going from three to four 
mm-hmm. was unreal. I was like, it's like, this is so much better. Why? <laughs> this is not even close. I was like, oh my God. But um, yeah, uh, probably worth mentioning, obviously, um, the movie's out, the entire yeah. movie. It's been out a week here in uh, the UK. It's out um, yesterday, yesterday yeah. as of recording um, for the US. But um, neither of us have gotten to go see it because... Um, <laughs> Of our households are wrapped well, with COVID. I, the there's moment. another surprise. I actually went to see it yesterday because I got out of my oh, really? isolation. Oh, and it was you the got first out of thing it. I booked. Oh, to go amazing. See. So we uh, can have a short I've not, I've not been able to leave. I'm still trapped inside. <laughs> I can't really. Do- um, <laughs> I've been like, I've been like, should I just like take a test and risk it? I'm like, no, that's really selfish. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. We'll get on to all That's the other That's good, at least one of us did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> we'll get on to a, a bit of more discussion around a loose spoiler free discussion later on, um, and then a bit more in the games. But I have to ask because the last time we were talking, and I know I've been waiting for this for a while, obviously, Horizon Forbidden West has come out. Has the Super Duper Deluxe Edition arrived yet, Kane? <laughs> it has. It has. Uh, the, so I made, a, <laughs> I made a TikTok of this unboxing the thing because um, <laughs> it arrived at my door. And I, like I didn't even know it had, it had arrived. Um, the poor driver from the UK game retailer called Game because we're creative like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, the poor driver had to go through Storm Eunice and deliver this <laughs> giant box to my door. I come down the stairs like an hour or so later, and I like I'm like, oh my god, this is a lot bigger than I. Yeah, so um, yeah, it's it's arrived. <laughs> it's a lot bigger than I anticipated it being. Um, I might send you an image just to, so I don't have to drag a camera across my room. Yeah, yeah. I'll send you an image of the the size of the elephant statue <laughs> compared to everything else because it, it was a lot it was a lot larger than I anticipated it being. Um, I'm very lucky I'm able to fit it anywhere, honestly. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, really cool. I played the game uh, last night on stream uh, for a few hours. It is probably one of the best looking games I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they've done it. Um, like, if it, the only game I, it compares to in my mind in terms of how good it looks is Red Dead Redemption Two. It's like it's mm. incredible what they've managed to do with that game. Well, that's high praise <laughs> as well for a game like that mind. because Red Dead is kind of almost held up as the pinnacle of top quality. It is immersive style yeah, it, content. Yeah, it's like it, it, it's unreal. I, I like going through it, and every five minutes, I'm like, this is this is crazy that mm. games can do this. And what's even crazier is, obviously, I'm playing on the PS5 version. I think you might be able to see my PS5 like over there slightly in frame. Hmm. But um, like the PS4 version of the game also looks great. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know how they've done it. Yeah. People with PS4s, um, <laughs> I honestly think they're going to go into full meltdown, honestly. I don't know how they're going to handle that game, but there we are. Yeah. Crazy times. I think... As professionals that this may have seemed, it was not planned at all for a brilliant transition into our first news piece, which is mm-hmm. surrounding Horizon which Forbidden West's uh, sort of, <laughs> it was delayed a little bit to avoid crunch, at least that's according to the game uh, director. Um, and it actually, it brings yes. up a good conversation because you were talking about how good the PS4 one is. And I know in the article that we have here mm-hmm. from The Gamer, they mentioned that because of COVID-19, when they were all at home, they had to do a lot of their playtesting on the PlayStation 4. Um, yeah, they they got a lot of extra time to really like hone in hmm. on that version of the game, which I found uh, quite interesting. Because um, and I'm not going to name any specific uh, games or developers, but it, it seems to be kind of a, a common trend at the moment with these newer AAA games. Because uh, and it's mostly down to the uh, stock issues with the brand new generation of consoles. Hmm. A lot of the previous 
gens seem to be a little bit on the ropes when it comes to these new releases. They the focus is very much on the shiny new consoles and the, the other ones are just kind of there. Hmm. And that, I felt that a lot with um, games, but from, from all reports that I've seen, that's definitely not the case with this one. That extra time really, really benefited them. <laughs> hmm. it's, it's always good as well, because obviously, as you mentioned, such a difficult way to try and get a, I suppose, a next gen console. I've been fortunate enough that I've gotten the Series X and the PS5. But I, hmm. I, I think if you're, especially from a PlayStation perspective, because you kind of have the little intermission console with the series s for xbox users um to have a game that runs flawlessly on ps4 as well as ps5 is great i think i even i even read recently that they had to they had to deliberately slow down the loading times because people couldn't read the 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 tool tips on the loading Um, screens (laughs) i I remember seeing that as um (laughs) i think it was uh, the spider-man remaster when the ps5 first came out there's a there's like a toggle option that you can toggle on and off, and one of them lets you have the loading screens <laughs> and like the fast travel uh, travel animations because the console's so fast it just skips them. <laughs> it's like you can toggle them on for the extra immersion, <laughs> and I'm like, that's insane. <laughs> but um, no, it's um, on honestly, I'm I'm very happy because uh, the P- getting a PS5 is it's still a nightmare. You know, mm. we're over a year removed from its launch, and. Um, I've had to get two of the things. I was very lucky. I got mine on launch day. I don't know how I managed it. I managed to slip in there during a, the 50-second Amazon window where they were in stock <laughs> when they first went on pre-order. Uh, and I managed to snag one. And then it took me about two months to get one for my brother's birthday. But um, but yeah, no, it's a, it's still a nightmare. I've not gotten lucky enough to get an Xbox Series S yet. Uh, X, even. I've got an S. Mm. Um, the names are still confusing to me. <laughs> but... Um, uh, but yeah, it's um, it, it's good to see like the effort being put in into making sure that these games are still playable on the systems that people have, mm-hmm. and it's not to say that uh, other studios aren't putting in that effort, but uh, they're not given the time to put in that effort, I suppose. So it's nice um, uh, if what if um what the uh, the studio lead has said is true, the game director. Uh, that it was delayed specifically for that reason to mm. avoid crunch and to get that extra time. Uh, no, it, it's really nice to see because um, there's been a lot of uh, very high, <laughs> uh, high priority instances where that's clearly not the case yeah. uh, in recent years. But uh, no, it, it's it's really nice to see. <laughs> I think I think this is well the second example we've seen of a, a first party PlayStation studio having benefited very much directly from not mm. enforcing crunch i know insomniac when it came to ratchet and clank had a big um sort of uh ordeal put out about how they hadn't made their team crunch either and obviously that game went down amazingly and it was nominated for game of the year awards mm. left right and very, center very very good very good game yeah uh, insomniac as a whole i think i've had a really good reputation with that at least with spider-man it was the exact same um <laughs> yeah Insom- insomniac uh for me at least, uh, as I am going through and catching up on all the titles that I've missed, I, I think they're the pinnacle of PlayStation right now, honestly. The yeah. way they carry it. And Gorilla, like, you know, if Gorilla managed to keep going the way that they have been going, because the two Horizon games are fantastic, I think they're going to be right up there quite easily. Um, mm. Depends on how the rest of this game goes, because I'm only five hours in. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think in general, though... I- I don't know if it's me, though, maybe coming from this perspective, because obviously I'm a PlayStation player second. I always played Xbox and I've always kind of that's been the go to console. And that's not to say that I have a preference Mm -hmm. over one or the other, but maybe it's just the way I've experienced games has been mainly through Xbox that when I look at Sony now, I think of like 
you know, you're getting a seal of quality and approval with first party titles that maybe you wouldn't expect with Xbox. Maybe less so now, but at least more so before. That's uh, uh, that's kind of like the uh, that that's kind of the way I viewed it. Honestly, um, probably worth mentioning, obviously, because we are discussing a PlayStation Studio that um, we did both write for an Xbox website uh, <laughs> for, for a little while. Uh, we did. We were both on the editorial team for an Xbox centric website, mm. but uh, neither of us really have a preference in that matter. We just love video games. Uh, but uh, obviously, uh, my console of choice for the longest time was Xbox. I was uh, mainly the 360, and then I switched mm. to PC, and now I've kind of gone back. But yeah, no. Though the way I look at the industry um, currently, at least, is if you want uh, the guaranteed seal of quality on first party games, it's pretty much playstation yeah you know that's uh because xbox haven't had the time to really get to that level mm-hmm. yet you know um they're still in, quite in the process of um building up their first party studios mm-hmm. uh so i'm uh, curious to see how that goes i feel like starfield's probably going to be one of the first big indicators of how that goes yeah. but uh yeah no it's um I, I definitely there's a there's a level of quality that playstation brings to the table and uh horizon uh, 2 is definitely the latest in that for sure yeah because i thought at least come around november december time last year that maybe xbox was going to try and put out some titles that kind of push that mark and obviously games like forza horizon 5 are a brilliant example of what that hardware is capable of but i mean it's an excellent title yeah (laughs) but in terms of like sort of the big titles that everyone talks about i mean forza is a big series but i don't think it's on anyone's particular mind when it comes to huge first party titles it's certainly not on the Mm. same level of say horizon god of war um, no, last it's, of us. um, I I do think I do think that's the um at least currently mm. uh when when you look at the big franchises it's it's pretty much for uh, for Xbox it's pretty much just Halo on that level yeah like even something like a Gears of War which is a big Xbox IP I'd say it's like a rung or two below that level for me at least mm-hmm. and you know the Gears games are great I've played most of them I've enjoyed every one that I've played but um. Yeah, you know, I, I think they, uh, as as we continue, we're going to see more IPs of that level be brought into the fray. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that'll maybe give us a clearer idea of um, what kind of level we're expecting from Xbox. Because whilst the games we've been getting this generation are great, um, I don't think they're uh, necessarily almost like medium defining which is the way i mm. describe playstation's first party ips they go above and beyond sort of like defining the console they kind of what you think about when you think about the industry at large really yeah i think specifically as well i think there's always the i know i think back to the really the quote from like was it from steve jobs or is it for someone at least relevant to that who's like you know a windows pc is for work mac is for play and i kind of think of that in a similar way to xbox and playstation which was like xbox is more for sort of like games like sort of the traditional style of game that you'd imagine mm-hmm. sitting out with your family with and then well obviously nintendo would occupy that role but if we're talking about those two xbox would occupy that more sort of here's a game sort of thing and then sony's approach is always like here's a very cinematic experience that just happens to be a game as well yeah um yeah, that that's that's a good way of putting it. Uh, I think the the way I described it last, probably on Twitter, whilst talking to some random person about video games, um, was uh, I I think Xbox is all about how you access games, hmm. and uh, PlayStation is all about how you experience games. And I hmm. think that's the two kind of philosophies of them at the moment, at least. Which you know that might change if that uh, 
that Spark has programmed turns out to be true. They might go more in the Xbox's direction. Hmm. But uh, yeah, no, it's a, a very much kind of like a different mindset to um, gaming and just video games in general from them both. Yeah, And uh, I, I think, um, you know, they both have their fans, they both have their audience, they both do their things well. But it's nice to see at least... Um, especially just from the PlayStation side at the moment, because um, we don't have many reports from the other, uh, the other um, Nintendo and Xbox, is that we're kind of seeing these studios take things like Crunch a bit more seriously. Mm. When a few years ago, that definitely wasn't the case. There was loads of reports about Naughty Dog crunching employees, mm. um, not related to either of them. Rockstar were apparently quite bad for it, you know. Mm. And uh, we, we've seen it time and time again, but it's nice kind of seeing the shift where they're like, okay, no, we need to really change the bill here. And uh, hopefully it leads to more games like Horizon where it's hmm. just like quality across the board and genuinely delivering upon what they're promising. Yeah. Well, I mean, anyone who had February marked down as their gaming month of the year, I mean, has probably got too much going. We have Sifu, we have Horizon, and now Elden Ring is coming out soon. So, yeah. I mean, God help whoever bought both of the, the like the deluxe editions for them, because the statues for them would probably take up oh a my fair God. amount of space. <laughs> I'm not even a Souls man, and I was tempted to buy the Elden Ring one, because that statue is gorgeous. <laughs> Elden but Ring I'm is like... looking, yeah. It's looking weird, though, because I'm not a huge Souls fan either. I've always been someone who's very mm. intrigued by the Souls aesthetic and the look of the Souls universe. Uh, I, Funnily enough, I have Demon Souls and I have Bloodborne and I played a bit of Demon Souls and never got past, like, the first five minutes of it. I mean, in-game-wise, I've play, I played about two hours of it. but And then Bloodborne, I never booted up, but I know a load of people love that game. Um, And I've always just been like, yeah, Elden Ring kind of looks like it'll be... I know, at least from my perspective, Elden Ring looks like it might be a bit easier than the previous Souls I, entries. I, we, I've seen reports on that because uh, like, it's it's apparently a little bit easier to get into, at least. Hmm. Um, and I think it's because it's targeting a much wider audience because they have like George R. R. Martin on it. Hmm. So they're really like wanting as many people to get into the game as possible. So I feel like this one's maybe... Um, I, I've had a discussion with a friend of mine, Owen, who was... Um, he was invited to like the test weekend. It was, I, I can't remember if they, what they called it, if it was a beta or whatever. There's so many different names for public beta these days. Um, but he was invited to that, and he is a massive Souls fan. He's beaten them all apart from Bloodborne, I think, hmm. because um, he doesn't have a PlayStation uh, or didn't have a PlayStation. And, um, yeah, no, he was like, it, it's kind of like the introductory game at the moment to get you into the genre, and then you can explore the rest of them. And... Um, I I'll probably end up picking it up because I'm interested. You know, I own the rest of the Souls games despite not being a massive fan of them. Um, but yeah, you know, it's um, I'm I'm curious to see um, mostly the vision of that game because I think George R. R. Martin has like I mean, <laughs> if Game of Thrones is anything to go by, he's uh, has insane creative vision, and so <laughs> and so does From Software. So the idea of them two working together, I. Honestly, dread to think what we're going to be witnessing. So uh, hmm. it's exciting, honestly. It's exciting to see. Yeah, it's definitely one of those games, I think, at least from my perspective, because I'm not a huge FromSoft player that I'll keep an eye on, see how people enjoy it, and then maybe pick it up on sale at some point in the future. 
I, I say I'm not a big FromSoft fan. The real reason is because I have such a huge backlog of stuff I have to get through anyways that buying a new game at 60 quid, I know I won't play it until like November. So that, no that's the excuse the I tell myself because I do have a giant backlog of, <laughs> uh, just plowing through games. But um, it's really just because I'm not good at them. That's probably the reason I've never really invested <laughs> the time. I'm really bad at them. <laughs> yeah. Um. Let's move on to the next bit anyways. We're talking about big backlogs. Here's a game that's been out for a long, long time. No Man's Sky obviously released a new update recently. Mm-hmm. But the big news around it is that it's still not nowhere near finished according to Sean Murray. He says by a long shot, there's still a lot of stuff to do. No Man's Sky, firstly, have you played No Man's Sky or have you played it in depthly? I suppose? I've played a lot of No Man's Sky. Well, I say a lot. A lot for me, which is uh, the current hour count on Steam because I brought it up because I knew we were discussing No Man's Sky. <laughs> Uh, is around 64 hours I've spent in-game okay. on that, on PC at least. I've played a little bit on PlayStation as well. Um, I love the game. I mm. played it after the uh, almost this redemption arc begun, because that's what <laughs> No Man's Sky is. It's a giant redemption arc for, of a video game. Um, I think I think it's fantastic, and I'm glad to see they're continuing to support this game. And uh, I, th- I think it says a lot about Hello Games' kind of like character as a mm. studio, where they're determined to really make this the game that they hyped it up to be all those years ago and uh it didn't it like it didn't happen at its launch of course but uh no i i love that they're um they're continuing to do this it's it's fantastic to see yeah i think obviously you mentioned earlier that you know some studios really bought into crunch a while back and that's starting to change a little bit i think these sort of games i think in no man's sky uh sea of thieves and like destiny 2 are kind of byproducts of that time because now all these games are getting the real like i suppose sort of tlc Mm -hmm. that they deserved for a long long time and they're probably starting to get into the realm where almost coming up to where they had been promised for obviously you mentioned with no man's sky when they were initially meant to launch but they're getting there now and i think it's all it's always really nice it it's nice to check in on those games and see how they're doing yeah, and especially to see the studio is learning a lot from their mistakes, which is mentioned in the article here as well that we have. Yeah, but... I believe that is a direct quote from uh, Murray. <laughs> yeah, he says uh, we learned a lot from our mistakes, and you know it, it's nice to see kind of like that humble attitudes towards it. Honestly, you know, because mm-hmm. it's benefited them a lot. the The amount of support that No Man's Sky has, you know, it's it's won like awards for the support that it's continued to get, mm-hmm. and it, it's honestly it's incredible to see. And you know, there's so many games like a. The one one of the other major examples, though I think No Man's Sky might be a, the bigger example now, um, is the recovery that Rainbow Six Siege did, mm. where that game was pretty much dead in the water, and they just revived it, and it became one of the biggest shooters on the planet. It was incredible how they managed to do that. But um, obviously, a more recent example of a game that's trying to do this is Cyberpunk with its uh, 1.5 mm. update, which I've played a little bit of. That's not too bad. Um, definitely a lot of improvements to that game. So uh, hopefully that trend keeps going as well because, yeah, no, it, it's nice to see the the devs get the respect they almost deserve for actually mm. putting in the time. You know, it's because um, a lot a lot of people are quick to blame devs for stuff like uh, the products that come out of Crunch, mm-hmm. but it's never really on the devs. <laughs> you know, they're trying their best with the time that they have, yeah. and it's just never enough time. And it, it's nice to see games like No Man's Sky where it has this extended period and yet you know it, they get to really put their heart and soul and make the product that they've always wanted to make mm. and you know it's being rewarded because of that uh, it, it even has a vr mode now 
which I really want to try because mm-hmm. that game's so colorful and beautiful to look at. <laughs> I think it's amazing in VR. Yeah. I think all these stories as well also, I suppose, heighten my appreciation for games that do come out finished, like Horizon. Um, and specifically, mm. I think more so the one that I had the biggest experience with was when Doom Eternal came out. Because um, I remember that was a game that by by no means is it a like a groundbreaking title in terms of its visuals or whatnot. It's a very fun arcade shooter, and I think it probably pioneers the FPS genre in its own right. But you know, when it came out, I was kind of like, "Yeah, there's got to be something wrong with this. There's no way, especially <laughs> a game from Could, Bethesda it, Studios it came, comes out. It came finished. out in that era, you know. Yeah, like it it came out in that era, and it was like obviously, um it'd have a bit of a better reputation than Bethesda Game Studios. Um, <laughs> j- just a little bit, because um, Starfield's coming out, and even if Starfield gets delayed, which some people are rumoring, that game won't be finished when it comes out. And I'm a massive Bethesda fan. I can guarantee it's going to have some problems. Um, <laughs> that's no offense to Bethesda, but uh, those games are just too big to not have issues. But uh, yeah, no... Um, I, I've not, do you know what? I've not beaten Doom Eternal and I feel really bad about it because <laughs> I played a bit about it and then I put it down and I was like, I'll get back to this tomorrow. And here I am, however many months later, and I've not <laughs> picked it up since because I've just been so distracted by life and other things. Mm. But um, I remember sitting down and playing it. I was like, this game feels like it's finished. <laughs> this, is <what> yeah. they, <laughs> this is what they meant to put out. This feels very crisp. <laughs> yeah, And um, it, it just like, it it it's it it shouldn't feel as nice to see as it, as it does. <laughs> it's so nice to see, like when it's like, oh, this game is done. Mm. <laughs> I think maybe that's more of a damning indictment of the industry than I intended it to be. But <laughs> maybe, and obviously speaking here from like no game development experience at all. I mean, I think my my own personal takeaway from it is initially, you know, the jump from seventh to eighth generation consoles was so severe. In the terms of like you could go onto the Xbox 360 and a full trilogy would release in that console's lifetime. Whereas now you'd be lucky to get two games on the same console. Um like I think back to like <laughs> Dead Space series, Mass Effect, all that sort of stuff. Even Halo had a number of titles. I think three, four titles actually came out for the Halo series on the Xbox 360. You had Reach three like ODST and then four. And it's just you yeah, look at that. ODST four, and that's not including side games as well. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and you know, then you look at you know, you go to the Xbox One. I think you had Master Chief Collection, which was a train wreck on launch, and has since you know become this fantastic sort of library of Halo games. <laughs> and then Halo Five as well, which also a train wreck at launch. Yeah. I mean, Halo Infinite is it a train wreck at launch? No, more like a mild car crash, I'd say. But it's still, you know, <laughs> it, I mean. It, I think it's this big transition period for a lot of studios where they've got this sort of, they can do a lot more with the limitations of certain consoles. And now that they've got all this extra mm. space and the vision is so much bigger. And of course, the expectation of consumers is also bigger as well, along with, you know, the pressure <laughs> from studios to get, to get we, revenue we've, back. Uh, we, we've been seeing a lot of that. Um, I, I, I do like, <laughs> I, do you know what? For some reason, I completely forgot Halo 5 existed. It just completely <laughs> slipped my mind. A lot of people I've do, don't pl- worry. I've, I've never played it, so it was just like completely gone out of my mind. I meant to be playing it in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm just like, I completely forgot about it. Um, but yeah, I, I think like, you know, games are getting a lot bigger. And um, the time to make those games isn't getting mm. bigger in proportion to how big the games are getting. 
So uh, you you have these massive experiences being made, even more so now that 4K is becoming the standard. Mm. And for time to make them isn't necessarily as long as it probably should be. And that's what leads to these like employees being, well, in some cases, they're not even employees looking at you, Activision. Um, but uh, <laughs> some of those Activision uh, workers definitely not contracted. But, uh, you know, it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's crazy to see them where it's like, they're not given the full time to really make these experiences because, you know, they have these corporate demands to meet, you know, they have financial revenues and quotas mm-hmm. to reach and so on. And um, I'm, I'm hoping we've seen a turning point. I'm hoping that cyberpunk has gotten us to learn a lesson a little bit as an industry, just a little bit <laughs> uh, because of just how that blew up in everyone's faces. So um, ho- hopefully um, things like Horizon mark a nice little turn. And uh, it's nice to see games that were kind of caught up in that era, like No Man's mm. Sky, really make the most of this extra time to just create experiences that have be- become beloved. You know, they've completely changed their reputation, not only as a game, but as a studio. You know, mm. it's it's incredible. Yeah. I think the interesting thing I'm looking forward to is obviously the game is coming to Switch this summer. Be interested to see how they port that over to obviously i don't mean a weaker console but obviously in terms of the amount of capacity you can have on a handheld portable console that it'll yeah it'll be an interesting one decision um <laughs> because i i'm excited because i'll probably end up picking it up on the, the switch because it seems like a really good game for the switch uh especially on the oled like that game's so colorful i think the oled's gonna really let that thrive if the, yeah. if the port's good. <laughs> well, the only, pro- the only problem okay. I ever have with the Switch is that twin stick games on the Switch are just atrocious. Um, I, they're not the best. <laughs> no. I think it's just the positioning of the analog sticks for me that really just makes my hands feel sore and I have to put it down after a certain amount of time. Um, when it's in its dock and I have the, the Switch Pro controller, perfectly fine. But just on the go, I... which is what I'd use it for normally, nah. This, this thing, this Pro controller, <laughs> is a lifesaver. I have, it it was before my Switch even arrived, I bought that because I'm like, I'm not using (laughs) Joy-Cons. I refuse to use Joy-Cons. So, like, I've used them when they're actually connected to the Switch now and Mm. again. Aside from that, I can't stand them. So this was a, this was a wise investment by me and I've not looked back since. (laughs) The biggest problem I always have is when I have the Joy-Cons and people come over and we decide to play Mario Kart. And I've got quite big hands in general. So the Joy-Cons feel tiny. And it's like... Yeah, they're like Tic Tacs. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that was the one thing the Wii had going for it was that it was, you know, the controller size was fine. I think it was adequately Mm. proportioned. I think that generation had a notorious thing for having smaller-ish controllers. Like, I can't hold a 360 controller properly anymore since having an Xbox One controller and all. I've I've not gone back to the 360 controller uh, in a while. So I feel like it would be a difference. But... um... Yeah, like I, I remember, and it's probably the main reason why I was a three sixty kid. I can't, I can't use old PlayStation controllers, man. Oh they're no, too small. <laughs> they're too small. They're too fragile. Right, the dual the, when the Dual Sense came along, I was immediately praising it. I was like, "Thank God they've made a controller that I feel like isn't going to turn to ash in my hands." Oh, I can play games again on PlayStation. It's a miracle. <laughs> those those PlayStation Three controllers always felt so light to the point if I felt if I dropped it like there was something coming off. Yeah, it. <laughs> it yeah. Just... It, it's 
it like by comparison an xbox controller felt like a weapon compared to, <laughs> <laughs> like it felt like you need a permit to own an xbox controller compared to a uh, like a dual shock controller it's in, the difference between them was insane honestly i don't know how they got around with that design for as long as they did before changing it but i'm very glad they did yeah <laughs> well so we've talked a bit about sort of games dealing with covid uh in regards to horizon we talked about games sort of redeeming themselves over the course of time at no man's sky let's go on to a game that has very much been seeing quite the opposite recently (laughs) which is battlefield 2042 um kind of an internal report of a meeting they had amongst staff at the time was kind of sent out and i got this from ign but they've since released a statement afterwards on pc gamer talking a little bit about the context behind that discussion saying that they were only kind of highlighting some factors and they weren't necessarily blaming but were so trying to take away key learnings of how they'd adapt in the future battlefield 24 2 is such an awkward situation uh i haven't played the game i haven't even watched that much about it because i think maybe like most people i was sucked in by halo infinite at the time because that had been a game i was waiting on for ages um that that was kind of my thing as well i I was given the choice between spending a full triple a price on battlefield or playing halo multiplayer for free (laughs) <laughs> and um i was like well you know i'm i i don't really mind multiplayer mm-hmm. games i'm not a big multiplayer game person um as if anyone who's ever seen any content that i've made knows that i don't really talk about multiplayer games um but uh yeah no um i i made the choice for halo as well i have talked to a bunch of people who have played the game they say it's not as bad as everyone says it is but it's not in great shape mm. <laughs> I think the the interesting thing about it is, especially with multiplayer games, uh, specifically with a game that comes out at $70, and I'm not sure what the conversion rate is for that. I think it's around 60 euros, 60 pound. Um, I, th- I think it's about 60 pound. Yeah. Um, you're looking at sort of, in one case, you've got to, first of all, buy that game yourself. And then they're only really enjoyable if you have a group of people who are willing to play it with you as well. So you need to know at least... Yeah, so they all have to buy it. <laughs> yeah, you need to at least know two or three other people that have paid $70 for a game as well. And then for it to you know look the way it did i know the only times i ever saw bits about it was the bugs and glitches which i mean maybe appeals to the cynic of somebody online because obviously they're going to see all the bad stuff about something as opposed to the good bits but it was evident that like there was a lot of problems with this game i think there's always problems with a game when you release a beta like two weeks before the actual game comes out yeah Um, that wasn't a great decision by them um first of all do want to point out uh love that the uh in the update here on the IGN article it says battlefield 2041 (laughs) yeah i didn't notice that as well um (laughs) (laughs) um, but the the one thing when i was reading through this and uh it got me it got me thinking about battlefield and just kind of the way that i approached it or i guess didn't approach it um because of that cost it, it got me thinking are we at a stage now where it's no longer feasible for AAA shooters to really carry that full price without having something else mm. attached to it. Because, you know, you have Call of Duty. Call of Duty still sells well. But it also has Warzone. And I think yeah. that free-to-play Warzone kind of keeps keeps the wheel turning even longer, I suppose. Mm. Um, but it, it's an interesting one because... I'm trying to think is like, would Halo have sold well if that, oh, well, would Halo have been as successful as it has been uh, despite its problems? Um, 
if it had if it had come out as the full like premium release and wasn't free to play and i don't know if it would have been honestly i think it would have because it's it had a fair drop off just because of the problems yeah but i'm curious to know about how that would affect the things obviously game pass as well as a factor in this but um yeah. it, it, it's an it, I, I want I want to see what like the next kind of like shooter from EA does mm. and how they've kind of adapt from this. Well, well, the interesting is thing is recently if we talk about Halo, you know, you're taking a gamble with spending sixty pound on that game because realistically all you're buying is the campaign because there's nothing else at the yeah. moment. Bar because mm-hmm. uh, the the multiplayer and I believe custom games are already free to play, so you've got this element of okay, well, I'm I'm paying for the investment in this title, and then you're thinking at that stage, well. Is it worth buying the campaign now? Unless you're really wanting to play the campaign, there's no point in buying it. Um, another good example, obviously, if we talk about the AAA genre, sort of the games generally only ever come to the question of, especially in the shooter genre, are they worth buying if they don't have a campaign? Which is odd because so few people percentage-wise actually yeah. finish those campaigns. That, that that's the that's the weird thing. It it's almost it's like a Schrodinger's cat situation. <laughs> honestly, it's like well, does it? You don't know whether or not it's worth the money with or mm. without a campaign because it could have a campaign and you just won't play it, like most people. I think yeah, I think Call of Duty <laughs> was able to kind of get away with it for a little bit because I, I remember Black Ops Four didn't have a mainline campaign, but what they had at the time mm. was multiplayer. They then had Blackout, which was the predecessor to Warzone, yes. and then they had Zombies as well, which was a main staple. Uh, sort of feature in Call of Duty up until then, um, and uh, hot hot take: a Blackout was better than wasn't. Um, <laughs> ooh, okay. Uh, well, I'm not a huge That's battle a... royale fan to begin with, so I didn't enjoy either. So, <laughs> but <laughs> That's fair. Um, the yeah, the thing is weird though. I mean, obviously, Call of Duty has since gone back to that um campaign formula because I think a lot of people were disappointed that it wasn't there in Black Ops, which is again is surprising. Mm. I think it's a very core vocal minority of that community that wants a campaign in there and. I think the success of Modern Warfare 2019's one probably proves that there is still an audience for it. Yeah. Um, Battlefields isn't. You never hear anyone talking about how great a Battlefield campaign is outside of the well, bad company I, games. Ironically, Battlefield was the opposite because the, the big controversy around ba- controversy around Battlefield Five was its campaign, hmm. where it like had like the stories that they were doing. You know, like little segment parts, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, and it was like that was like the big controversial part about it so they were like okay let's not do that again <laughs> and uh, this one's multiplayer only and they yeah. still can't like they can't really catch a break battlefield honestly no battlefield 5 <laughs> had an unfortunate launch because obviously i think there was the whole weird controversy surrounding people well first of all i don't think they knew what game they wanted to be they were like let's be this authentic game and then they had this like weird concoction yeah. of characters that <laughs> looked more out of like a, an overwatch style arena shooter than they did out of world war Two. Um, but then you had the weird controversy of people taking it completely the wrong way online as well and being just generally scummy people. Um, being Twitter. Yeah. But then you had also <laughs> the whole thing of the controversy surrounding the fact that they were having their own Battle Royale mode. People at the time, I think, especially yeah. Battlefield gamers, didn't really want that. Um, and then yeah, It's weird, man. Yeah. and the, I mean, Battlefield 1 was a really good example of a game that was done right because it came out at the prime opportunity for them to take away players mm-hmm. from the Call of Duty series because mm-hmm. this was when Infinite Warfare came out, which I still hold hand on heart is probably one of the best campaigns in a Call of Duty game. Um, but the at the time, people were fed up with the futuristic style approach. <laughs> and you can't get less futuristic than going to World War One, really, can you? But sorry, it's going well, to play yeah, Chivalry. It, it was like... The the peak of like the we want boots on ground Call of Duty movement, yeah. wasn't it? 
And then that came out, and you know, Battlefield One's still a great game. It's really good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think it had brief problems with hackers, but you know, what what shooter doesn't? Um, <laughs> I think. I but, think. Uh, yeah, they've not really had a win since then. Honestly, no. And it, I, I mean. I do feel kind of bad because Battlefield games have always visually looked amazing. Mm-hmm. They've always looked better than a Call of Duty game. I, Especially the more recent ones, bar Modern Warfare, all the Call of Duty games have looked like cutty, uh, co- cookie cutter change assets and same sort of yeah. formula, which is disappointing. And especially Warzone embodies that the most because all those weapons are in one big con- concoction of a sandbox and it doesn't it doesn't fit well at all anymore. Um, But with Battlefield 2042, I think... Obviously, pricing is a, a, a difficult conversation to have because you've got different regions and different amounts of money and everything. And so you can't, I can't really be like, oh, I wish it was cheaper. But if we take it at face value, I think the game should be at least 40% cheaper with the content it currently has. Because uh, it's only got a multiplayer. It's got its Battlefield portal and it's got a few extra bits on top of that. But it hasn't got enough to match that $70 price tag, I don't think. Mm. And uh, I, I am I am very curious because obviously um, I think once it goes onto EA Play fully because uh, it has the mm. ten hour demo which I tried to download but uh, EA Play on PC is not good um, so um, it didn't let me download it so uh, once it goes on there full time I think we it might have a bit of a resurgence especially mm. from uh, the Game Pass kind of like subscribers but yeah I I, I really want to see um, what they decide to do come their next big. Uh, FPS and whether or not they'll go down that uh, price cut route whether or not they will make it uh, more of the free to play model that's very popular right now because it's hard for a game like Battlefield to compete when you have like the Battle Royale genre dominated by two free to play games played by millions of people and then Halo comes in at the same time Uh, like wasn't it within a week or something? It Four just days before it came out. Yeah. yeah, it just shadow dropped, and everyone was like, "Well, Battlefield are done." <laughs> it was it, that was the general consensus. It was like, "Good luck with that." I don't think uh, I think that's kind of the final blow, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And whilst obviously this article was, um, well, the addendum to this article was then backtracking, being like, "We're not blaming Halo, but it definitely was a factor." <laughs> mm. I think. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think the main takeaway from this is, you know, if they're going to talk about, you know, Halo being a main core factor and of course COVID as well. And they they, they, they couldn't foresee all the things they have to do is like delay it, mm. I think is the main thing, Um, which of well, course is very and- easy for me to say. And EA is obviously a very stock driven company, so they're going to need to make those. I think dividends always come by before the end of the year, so they've got to make some yeah. boost in gains. It's so that's a very tricky situation for any sort of company in that standing. But I mean, in a perfect world, it would be delayed and you'd have a better game because of it. Well, well yeah, that that's um, kind of the big takeaway from this, because um, a lot of people were being like, this game needs a few more months in the oven, you know, mm-hmm. and that was like the general consensus during the beta, like right before its launch. It was like, this game should be a lot more ready than it is. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, you know. And unfortunately, um, and, and unfortunately, that's just how it's been for Battlefield lately. And uh, I hope it can recover because I do love the Battlefield games. I think they're fun, mm. but uh, it's just uh, had a rough had a rough go at it. It's in there. I like to call it the um, the Bioware slump, where you have like these series of great games from them, and then it hits like that Mass Effect free, and then stumbles into. Andromeda and Anthem, <laughs> and now they're trying to recover again. 
but uh yeah it's hopefully they can uh ho- hopefully they can get back uh, on the ground running with the next one at least yeah if not only... a couple of months down the line with this one yeah well only time will tell anyways and hopefully we come back to it and it'll be in a better state then and maybe possibly i will give it a go at that stage um i can tell moving... you what platform it won't be on though <laughs> 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 moving on to final story of the week uh the 1000 digital only titles estimating to disappear when nintendo closes 3ds and wii u eShop. this is a this is an interesting story because it's very reminiscent of the whole we're closing down the playstation 3 and vita stores get your stuff quickly um and then that was obviously backtracked because of all the backlash surrounding it um Whereas PlayStation at the time very much said, oh, we're so happy we can keep this going. Like, bullshit. Like, get out of here. Um, <laughs> right. Nintendo Nintendo seemed like the company that will not back down. <laughs> and will more so if you try and pirate the game afterwards when you can't get it legally in any other way. They will absolutely send you a cease and desist. Um, but Nintendo just to... might be the smartest company to be filled with idiots that I've ever seen, honestly. It's, they it's make just, the worst yeah. decisions. <laughs> But the problem, but, I think, the, yeah, the problem is at least when it comes to, I think, again, this is all perspective and all just what I think at the moment. But you know, when it comes to say PlayStation and Xbox, those two companies are so compared to each other that there's almost this incentive to try and win over the consumer. Whereas when it comes to Nintendo, yeah. nobody like Nintendo doesn't care what's going on. Nintendo does its own thing. Like, of yeah. course, they can have the console generation of the Wii U and still survive and create all these like intellectual it's properties Nintendo. that for some reason blow up. <laughs> And they're not going to care what the consumer thinks because they know people will lap up whatever is put in front of them. Um, not saying that, you know, players shouldn't, you know, buy the stuff that they enjoy, but it's like, mm. at one point, it's like there is no repercussion, I believe, for Nintendo and whatever decision they <sighs> truly make, honestly. Um, it, 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 Nintendo, it, it's almost like they, the right hand doesn't understand what the left hand's doing with them. Because mm-hmm. it's like, you have the Nintendo legal team, which is basically a private militia at this point. Tracking down anyone that's having fun, like orbiting around their IPs, uh, even to the point where someone made a fan game, not even selling it, just made it for themselves in a video series, and Nintendo took it down because that's how they operate. Mm. Um, and then they're like, you know, you can't pirate our games. We will take you to court. You will pay us a lot of money, but also, we, you can't buy our games past a certain age. Yeah. And it's just I don't know. I, 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 I don't. You, um... I don't understand the logic behind this. <laughs> I don't know if it's a legal thing out there because I remember, I don't know if you saw that recent controversy on YouTube with this guy who does, he does like review of all the Dragon Ball stuff. Um, mm. and oh, got, are you the big anime review? Channel? Yeah. Is See, I don't, I don't one? watch yeah. it generally myself. So I, I heard about it through different sources or whatever. And there was the whole conundrum where this company who owned Dragon Ball and all this had taken down over like a thousand videos that were yeah, I believe I believe it was varied. Toei. I think Toei, it was Toei, yeah. Animation. Toei Animation. Yeah, they I'm t- not an anime guy, so I'm no, yeah. I'm butchering <laughs> but pronunciations. It must, it must be some way <laughs> in which they handle legal proceedings out there that it must be the norm, and they just it's just not translated well over to Western culture in that sense. Yeah, so um, uh, I, I did like a, a write up about this at some point. It was a long time ago, though. Mm. Uh, like Japanese. Uh, the copyright laws are very much <laughs> like a lot more strict than western copyright laws <laughs> uh there's not a lot of room there's not a lot of gray area essentially mm. um so like uh in the, in the case of that toei uh situation it's buried under my tweet so i can't really go into it uh mm. on on from the actual research that i did at the time but um 
yeah, the, the situation there was like, in, in terms of Western culture and YouTube, uh, he was in the right. You know, his videos, like, I can't say that every single video was in the right. Um, but based on what he does, you know, he is looking at them through a critical and analytical lens. Hmm. And that is covered by uh, things like fair dealing and f uh, fair use. In Japan, that doesn't really exist. Um, like, if the rights holder doesn't like something or doesn't want you to do something, hmm. they can just take it down. And obviously, Nintendo, being a Japanese company, they kind of take that approach. <laughs> and uh, they've they received a lot of backlash for it. But, um, y yeah, I it, it, it's, it's a crazy one because, like, if they had announced <laughs> we're bringing the Wii U to the Switch, we're mm. porting over games to the Switch, we're going to be doing it over time. And uh, it's going to be a slower process, but they are coming. And we just want to put this console to rest, move forward. Yeah. That would be one thing. <laughs> um, Nintendo didn't do that. <laughs> uh, the report that they said, <laughs> and they have since taken it down, it was on their FAQ, uh, they pretty much confirmed that they had no plans to bring the 3DS and uh, Wii U things or like re-release them elsewhere. They had no plans for that. They just went, we're shutting this down. Like they did with the Wii. And um, part of me hopes that people get to play these games on the Switch. And part of me also kind of doubts it. So uh, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. it's a baffling decision, though. And, um, you know, like the headline here is a thousand digital only titles. Because obviously, a lot of the games that most people are going to care about, those are the ones you can also buy physical versions of. Yeah. So that's not as big of a deal, though the prices of those physical versions will skyrocket because um, that's just how physical games work now, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, they go way up in price. But um, these digital-only ones, unless they're released on other platforms, they're gone forever, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, apart from the devs who own them, they're just gone. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, yeah, uh, just to kind of put it into perspective, the, the estimated numbers from VGC are around 450 digital-only Wii U games, 600 digital 3DS games, 100 Wii U games that are also available physically, 300 3DS games that are also available physically, and then nearly 530 virtual console games, around 350 of which are not currently available on Nintendo Switch online. The, yeah. the I think the biggest issue I have with this sort of practice, specifically outside of initially the realm of just, you know, video game preservation, um, because, you know, I believe it was mentioned that Nintendo doesn't even allow um, public libraries to rent out games to people, which seems so ridiculously stupid because it's like, if you're going to take yeah, away something from Nintendo someone, like stuff like that. yeah, but it's like, if you're going to take away the only source and where you can get it from and then not offer any alternatives, I mean, obviously you can't promote <laughs> emulation, but at the same time, it's like, where <laughs> else are people going to go? You know, th there yeah. is no other option for it. And, and that, that that's why I'm saying the right hand doesn't understand the left. It's like, oh yeah, we're getting rid of these. I'm like, okay, hmm. put them on the switch then. <laughs> you know, like find a way to sell them. People people still still clearly want these games, <laughs> mm -hmm. and you know people are pirating them because that's a big problem for you, and it's one that you constantly take people to court over. Hmm. 
why aren't you seeing that and going, hmm, if only there's something we could do with this platform that makes us money? <laughs> like, I, I don't understand how they haven't made the connection yet that maybe we should invest in this to yeah. stop people stealing from us. <laughs> yeah. The other, the other problem I have as well is that if this sort of practice is more commonplace, specifically among Xbox and PlayStation consoles as well, as an indie game publication, you know, indie games predominantly market their entire self on being digital because most of the time mm -hmm. you can't afford to get a publisher that will make you a physical copy. And in some rare cases, you know, there's obviously um, different websites that do limited run games for that sort of stuff. Yeah, but, but you know, when, when it comes to this... Yeah, and when you think about it now, and even still, if you were to get those, they're in such a limited quantity that, again, as you mentioned, the price of those games, if anyone really wants them, would be f astronomical if mm -hmm. they were taken off digitally. Like, that that's what worries me a lot about, you know, the hyper um, focus on Steam for PC gaming is that, you know, one day Steam is not going to exist. Where do all those games then go? Um, yeah. So, like, I mean, obviously, you've got things like GOG, itch.io, all that sort of stuff. Itch is a fantastic platform, by the way, which I think... If you're looking for indie games, more people should support itch. One hundred percent. Um, but yeah, this 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 worries me from a perspective of if you have gone to the effort of making a console port for your game, whether it's to a Nintendo console, Xbox, or PlayStation. Um, there's I don't think there's really specifically an Xbox thing I can point to yet, but specifically with PlayStation and Nintendo, if they then decide at one stage we're getting rid of this, and there's no way you can get these games again. I would mm. be very worried about you know the long term preservation of your titles. Um, so that, that's the that's the big problem with it, honestly. Yeah, it's just, yeah, mm. you know, like eventually, especially now that digital is the predominant way to get games, at least in the UK. Mm. You know, it's something like seventy-five to eighty percent digital as a market, yeah. uh, outside of very specific AAA releases. I think, and yeah. it's just like it. it it's <laughs> you, you. You're looking at it, and you're like. These games can just vanish, you know? Mm. And, like, there's... There are some games there where it's, like, not as many... Like, it's not going to be as big as a deal as, uh, to people, and that sucks in its own right. But to to be to not be able to preserve these... Uh, you know, if Nintendo put 10% of the effort into games preservation, but they did into suing the ever-loving Christ out of people... <laughs> And like shutting down everything, they would have the best backwards compatibility system on the planet. Hmm. Because as much as I love Xbox, and as much as we both love Xbox, Xbox should not have the best backwards compatibility. I'm sorry, no. they shouldn't. <laughs> they have they have the least reason to do so. <laughs> like they shouldn't be showing up PlayStation and especially Nintendo in this. Hmm. <laughs> but yet they are, and it's like. They could make so, like, even from a business perspective, the amount of money that they could make <laughs> <laughs> off of do like investing into this. Yeah, because I think yeah, I think the main thing is this will be this will definitely be something that at least in five years time we can look at and see if the companies made the right decisions because as it stands, it's still a very new situation because you don't have that mm -hmm. problem with I suppose the original yeah. Xbox generation and before because most of that stuff has either been remade or at least the popular ones have. And mm -hmm. there's digital versions of them still available. Um, Nintendo was kind of the first one that is making such a rash decision like this for as poorly as the Wii U. Well, the Wii U still sold, but as as poorly as the Wii U sold in comparison to other Nintendo consoles, this is a 
still a big blow for a lot of people that would want to experience well, those titles. Yeah. Well, it's not the first time they did it either, you know, because the Wii went through the same thing a couple of mm. years back. They shut down the Wii. And uh, that was the biggest travesty because it took the Wii Shop channel music away from us. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, it's just... I I, I don't really know how, how the future is going to like go with this, obviously. Mm. But... um. I, I part of me wants to believe that this is like a ploy by Nintendo where they get people to rush out and buy them now because you can still re-download them after they disappear in March uh, 2023. Hmm. Um, you can re-download them if they're purchased. So there's going to be some kind of server up and running still that keeps track of that data. But are they going to bring... Is, is this them trying to get people to rush out and buy them now and then yeah. re-release them again on the Switch? because they haven't mentioned that or mm. is this just them being like well those consoles are dead time to move on <laughs> and they just leave them behind and uh, they disappear into nothing <laughs> yeah because well, i think the important thing i think to finish this story on is you know th the way in which they've spread out the way in which it's gradually going offline seems very much at the benefit of a, a quick uh, influx of people yes. buying those games because the usage of credit card is getting removed mm -hmm. on the 23rd of May 2022, then you can't add any more e-card shop funds after the 29th of August 2022. But you can still redeem yes. game codes up until March 2023. So there's a full year here that they're just like, yeah, no, let's just get rid of the only ways these people can buy stuff and then we'll take it offline, mm -hmm. which, I don't know, it's see, like there's no way that that's not intentional, if that makes sense. Um but yeah, again, um, I mean, maybe it's we'll crazy. see similar backlash to the PlayStation thing, and maybe by some miracle it may change. I don't very much. <laughs> maybe have high Nintendo hopes for might it. change their mind for once. <laughs> well, Nintendo to be fair, just to, wake to up on the credit, right side of the bed one day. <laughs> to Nintendo's credit, they did change their mind on their copyright policy in the past when enough people were like, "Hey, can you stop taking down our YouTube videos about Nintendo games, please?" They went, yeah. "Ah." Okay. <laughs> well, even like, but, I mean, uh, even recently, wasn't it? You couldn't uh, co-stream a Nintendo Direct. Something point. like that, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I co-streamed the last one. Uh, hopefully that stays up. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, you know, they're slowly phasing them out. And, um, you know, you know I, I hope that we get to see, at least, especially for these uh, 1,000 titles that they've estimated, you know? Mm-hmm. They're either elsewhere, you know, purchasable some way mm -hmm. or another. Uh, so these devs can still get some support, even if it's not much, because, you know, these are older games now, more than likely. Um, it's it's just so disappointing to see, especially the bigger companies, you know, the ones with all of the money, <laughs> mm. to uh, not really care about their own history, you know? And it's just... Yeah, it you know, especially for um, because there's so many kids, for example, you know, even stuff like Pokemon, mm. you know, the only way if if someone wants to go back and play an old Pokemon game, they either have to own a Pokemon game already, <laughs> or like after this, they have to buy the physical copies of it, which are already costing more than current AAA games. Yeah, for the ones that are available digitally. So that's only going to go up once they're more of a rare commodity, hmm. you know? Well, 
we'll leave the news on that sour note, unfortunately. But unfortunately. we're going to go into a bit more of a positive topic. But first, we have a quick word from the sponsors and then we come back. Enjoying the show so far? Why not support this podcast and all the amazing work we do over on Gaming Sandbox by donating to our Patreon? Your support ensures that we can keep bringing you the latest news, reviews, and interviews in an easy-to-understand and fun way. Check out the top link in the description or visit www.patreon.com forward slash gaming sandbox. There are places out there you can't find on any map. They're not gone. They're just lost. All right, so welcome back. Um, so as I mentioned for the spotlight piece earlier, we're going to be looking at the Uncharted game series. I suppose more so, Kane, you're going to be acting as the bastard for the games and I'll talk a little <laughs> bit about the film since I've seen it. Um, yeah, t- together we're one whole Uncharted fan. Yeah, well, I mean, there was parts of the film where I was in there and, you know, I kind of got some of the little references they were making because I played that little bit of four, played that little bit of the first game. There was a very, (laughs) a very prominent character in Lost Legacy that's featured in the film that is not obviously a spoiler. Uh, Chloe Fraser is in this Uncharted film, who I had no idea existed in the Uncharted universe. I was just like, I came out of that film being like, is this their take on Elena or like what's going on here? And then I watched your review when I came back. It's like, oh wait, no, this is a, this is a pretty like substantial character in this yeah. series. Well, I, I don't know if I'd go that far. Uh, if you've played The Lost Legacy, it's a pretty substantial character. Any game yeah, Well, I suppose that, more so than you'd expect really. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're, they're a character. <laughs> the, the interesting, I want to touch on the movie very quickly first because, um, uh, there's a lot of talk about like well, this is obviously their own universe which i think first of all i want to point out that there's a lot of uh i suppose gaming adaptations that are taking this approach now uh, obviously we've uncharted the witcher did that mm. um arcane is also doing that i believe and then obviously this new halo tv show that's coming in march is going to be doing the same yeah. thing as well well i, I will say uh with the witcher at least because the witch is based on the books the books yeah so that, that yeah, yeah so that obviously makes like, a lot more sense it's not like it's tied in the same way to the games that the books are, where it's like, eh, not really. Yeah. <laughs> um, but with the, this one, there's still a lot of people kind of estimating, because obviously the young age of Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg in comparison to the actual in-game characters of Victor Sullivan and Nathan Drake is hugely different. There's a lot of people mm-hmm. estimating that, is this a prequel to the games? But this Is this some sort of a prequel to the game? And there is, I mean, some elements of nods to it, because I know, obviously, we're introduced to Chloe in... I've done my research after watching the film as obviously we're introduced to Chloe in the second game and there's this sort of allusion to a past she's had with Nate and Drake and people are kind of saying well is this film the past because they 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 only first meet in this film so that could be a neat Uh, way of doing it as well um and obviously no spoiler you see it in the trailer but obviously Mark gets his Victor Sullivan stash near the end of the film so there's (laughs) obviously a bit of a I suppose a leaning into that older version of Nathan Drake and Victor Sullivan. <laughs> my, Sully, my favorite sorry. thing about that movie, because um, uh, it's been in development hell for so long, is that <laughs> Mark Wahlberg was a me- originally meant to play Nathan Drake from reports, and the film was in development hell for so long he aged out of the role and had to play Sullivan instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was the, there was a the whole thing. It was like, um, you know. Th- this this film was in development hell for so long that there was a fan film so with Nathan Fillion that came out beforehand, <laughs> which is really funny. And, and in some ways, it's probably a more 
faithful adaptation of what mm-hmm. we would expect from something like that. I mean, the, the Uncharted film by no means is a bad movie. Um, I actually really enjoyed going to see it. The only problem I had was that there was like a group of people like two rows behind me who wouldn't shut up, which is one of those annoying things when you go to the cinema. But I, I still enjoyed it. I, I think without the title of Uncharted, it is very much just a very bland action adventure movie, though, which is the only problem to me. Um, I mean, it's cool going into the cinema and seeing like the Sony PlayStation thing come up as like part of the credits. Being like, oh, this is cool. Like this feels like the next step for film adaptations of games. Um, but I left the the theater afterwards thinking to myself, like, I can see why most game adaptation stuff now goes to TV because you've got such a long form media like games, especially Uncharted. Some of those games take about twenty to thirty hours. I believe is it around that time period? Yeah. Uh, on, on on average, um, I think the longest one I played was maybe sixteen hours. I want to say I think. It was okay. Maybe I am. Time. Yeah, I'm definitely over conflating in some areas. Of this, but you know, you, you look at that sort of scale of it. If even one of the games, and then you look at a movie that kind of has to try and reinvent and reincorporate a lot of that stuff. You think, you know, you've if you do you want nine hours of TV or do you want two hours of film? And it's yeah. kind of like. Yeah, I mean, Arcane and The Witcher, obviously The Witcher based off the books, but obviously with that connection to the, the game as well, benefits quite a lot from that. I think the Halo TV show might as well, although I'm not hopeful for that at all. Um, <laughs> the I have the, no idea what to expect from that show. Have you I seen the, tra- no the, the trailer? So hit I saw, or miss. I, saw, I, saw, I saw the trailer and I was like, this seems interesting. The one thing I was very confused about was like, why didn't you just hire the voice of Master Chief? Yeah, because like, I mean, he's, I, he's in the helmet unless unless you're showing his face in which the I show. I really hope they don't do. Um, yeah, it's like just tie the voice. It's a guy in a suit. <laughs> the other thing was the way Cortana looks looks so strange and weird. Because uh, it's like I would rather just be all blue. <laughs> it just it looks so yeah, it, uncanny in some ways. It is very uncanny valley, and I'm like, I don't know. It's like I don't know how they've somehow managed to make Cortana look less like a person than the, the blue <laughs> version. I don't know how they managed that. But uh, yeah, no, the Uncharted movie, one of the, the things, because obviously I haven't seen it, hmm. uh, but one of the interesting things I've seen about it online is it's uh, immediately, as soon as uh, the reviews came out for it, it brought up the, the review score discourse again um, yeah. that we constantly see, like even Horizon Forbidden West was dragged into that because it did not get a 90. <laughs> Oh no, it had 88. What a terrible game it must be. Okay. <laughs> I think, yeah. yeah no. The one thing I saw, though, I think from the film was, because I didn't know any of the reviews or anything going into it. I went into it pretty much completely blind by seeing the trailers. And obviously, I haven't played enough of the games to have that big of a connection to the characters either. So mm-hmm. I was kind of going in there being like, hey, I kind of get this reference. I mean, there's a couple of names that show up that I was like, yeah, I, I, I know them. There's some nice Easter eggs as well. Um, and I was kind of like, I went in and I was like, I came out and I was thought, this is nothing phenomenal, but it's a far shout from the terrible video game adaptations we've seen before. And then I look yeah, at Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> and it's like 40%. And I'm like, but it just doesn't, I don't think if I had gone in with the interpretation of it being a 40%, I would have come out thinking this is the best film ever because it was not a 40% at all. Um, yeah. um sure. <laughs> Just like a little little uh, thing to mention you, because obviously we both did writing for GPN, and I don't know actually yeah. know your stance on this. I was very vocal when we were both at GPN that I hate review scores. No, um, I, just, I can't yeah. stand them. I don't. I don't. I don't even use them in my own content anymore because they mm. are, to me at least, they're completely impractical. 
outside of just marketing <laughs> so yeah it's like i, um, I, I can't stand them <laughs> Yeah, no, we, we make a very big point of not having review scores on our stuff on the website, mm. which is always funny because um, I remember watching uh, a no clip documentary on the creation of Hades. And then obviously that game comes out and I can't remember if it was Eurogamer they were looking at who don't do review scores either. And they were just like, does your game not have a review score? Oh, no. And then they left the article and they're like, where's the review scores? <laughs> it's just like, why do the developers want these numbers? I've gone to the benefit of putting yeah. all these words in. But I mean, yeah, I think they're really arbitrary for a lot of stuff. And I think it yeah. takes away from the actual, what's the word, nuance of an actual title or a game. Yeah, it's like, unless you're like looking for a general consensus to then read more about it, don't look at review mm. scores. Like that's yeah. coming from someone like I, I have a degree in journalism. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I do this. This is what I do. Don't look at them. <laughs> mm. If you're interested in something and you aren't fully sure on whether or not you want to see it or not, read like one or two reviews, you know, yeah. and like actually think... read them because the scores, mm. they do it. They're terrible. They, they the, try um... to make an objective thing out of an obse- subjective piece, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Oh, no, I just, I, cause I was, when you were saying that, I was remembering that um, there was a talk on in Belfast. You know, Ali Plum, he does all the Radio 1 interview stuff for BBC. Mm-hmm. And he was like talking about how like he had done a review for like Dune and then for Shang-Chi. And he'd given both of them four stars. And obviously to anyone who'd be like, if you were to be like, well, that doesn't make sense. Shang-Chi isn't as good as Dune. And it's just like the four star rating is like so subjective for the actual content like yep. shang chi is probably a four-star marvel movie and a four-star action mm-hmm. movie whereas dune is a four-star sci-fi masterpiece so it's like it's this completely different realm so trying to equate any of these review scores which i always see at the time of the comments of these ign things being like a nine this game got a 10 and it's like well they're two completely different games like it's yeah. just yeah i mean so I, I i specifically remember the day that i stopped using them I remember it. Like I, I, I woke up. It was twenty, like eight, it was twenty eighteen December, right? <laughs> this is how much I remember about this. I woke up, and uh, I just released some of my Fallout reviews because I did a Fallout mm. series review, like I did for the Uncharted games. And um, I actually used review scores in those because I yeah. was experimenting with it at the time. And I remember, um, I don't. <laughs> it was too. It was. Um, I gave Fallout New Vegas, and now I've since removed that video, um, simply because I didn't like what I said in there. I don't think it was very reflective mm. of uh, my actual opinions on the game. Um, but I gave that a seven out of Whoa. ten. Rough, rough right. time for you, my friend, with yeah. Fallout New now, Vegas fans. Yeah, now Fallout New Vegas is a fantastic game. Hmm. Right, it's a ge- genuinely, it's brilliant, <laughs> but. It runs like crap. <laughs> it's a f- very poorly made game because they had 18 months to make it. Right? So I'm like, this is what they're trying to do. It does this really well, but this part is really bad. Hmm. So I rounded it out to a 7. Then I gave a separate Fallout game, and it was either 4 or 76. Now, 76 was a very interesting one because I gave them around like a, a 7 or an 8 each as well. And yeah. they, I got a comment on them being like, you said this about this game and this about this game. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm not, this isn't like an overall scale, you know? This isn't <laughs> like a leaderboard table where it's like, here you go, there's one, there's another. No, I'm looking at each game. <laughs> mm. And then like out of 10, here's what it's trying to do. How well does it achieve that? <laughs> yeah. They're not, they're not meant to be compared, but everyone does. Uh, <laughs> I think, yeah. 
I think they actually, I think generally in a perfect world, I think review scores would be so unnecessary because they actually don't do anything like a review score can only harm a game because mm-hmm. people who are looking forward to a game coming out and they see a good review score, they're going to be like, okay, cool. No, I don't know if there's anyone that's ever won over by a 90 or whatever. I think they just see that and they're like, oh yeah, cool. And then they'll buy the yeah. game anyways because they're mildly intrigued. But if you're yeah. going to buy that game and you see it get a 60 or something, which First of all, that's a like as an above average score. It means it's, it's a, a decent, decent game. Check it out. Yeah. But there's such a weird concoction with games that if it doesn't get an 85 or above, it's this trash game that's not worth your yeah. time. We're um, we're so spoiled for choice now with great games. Well, like the, ga- like yeah. a 70 is considered bad, and I'm like, how? There's 10 numbers. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> and even you and I will both know this from getting like early copies of games or whatever. There's a big difference between a review code and then the game on day one. Um, and I think. There's a perfect example of this when it came to when uh, Arcane Studios released Prey and there was the whole controversy Mm. surrounding this IGN review that had given it a 4 out of 10. And for a while, you know, I think people look back on Prey now as probably the creme de la creme of Arcane Studios, like their best game to date. Moon Moon Crash is really good as well. People should go and play that. And Support Arcane Studios. They don't miss. (laughs) No. (laughs) And then they had the... That the whole thing with the IGN piece was that uh, the guy who was reviewing it had really been enjoying it up until near the end part and then the yeah. game crashed and he couldn't finish it. So what would have been a fairly respectable score and which was completely fixed post-launch, yeah, you know, got tanked and people started, you know, I, I suppose it, it works both ways. At the time, I, I assume it was detrimental to some effect to Prey. Arcane have been very unfortunate by a death loop with actually getting their name out there and they make phenomenal games and Deathloop I would argue is probably one of their more mediocre titles in comparison to the stuff they've made from, um, from what I've played yeah, yeah. I, I like I, I haven't played uh, finished the game but I, I could agree with that praise from Death yeah. <laughs> the Sonic games are insanely good and here's me being completely arbitrary and saying it's not worth a 10 but it's just like <laughs> it, it's like it's um it, it really is it, it only serves to to be a detriment to the actual studio itself. I think they're really yeah. useless. I think if you think a game looks interesting and you think that that studio has a good track record, yeah. I mean, there's going to be a few hit or miss situations. Cyberpunk is one of those. Mm-hmm. But I think even if you look back on the history of CD Projekt Red, you've, you know, you, The Witcher 3 came out with some glaring bugs and it was fixed post-launch. You know, well, you're we, making... Here, here's the thing with uh, Cyberpunk, you know, that game got really good review scores. Hmm. But it's because they played the PC version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they did... <laughs> Is they played the good version of the game at launch, yeah. and then well, the it whole, came out, yeah. and it was a disaster. You know, <laughs> it's just like the the only reason, and this is like you know, I I've studied specifically journalist the journalistic side of the media for like mm. a third of my life, and the one conclusion I've always come back to is that there is no legitimate reason to use a review score outside of getting someone's attention and getting their money. Yeah, uh, it is. Like, it's a clickbait it, item. Yeah, like you see the seven, because uh, the statistics are a news value. Uh, hope pe- hope people are excited to learn about some uh, media theory here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like statistics are what we call a news value, and like if you've ever learned anything about uh, media, one of the things you'll be taught about is news values, and how um, there are specific like categories and criteria is a better word that make good news. It's why, if you've ever sat down and have gone, man, the news is so negative. Yes, because <laughs> negative news sells better and it keeps you watching. Uh, yeah. That is legitimately the reason. 
Uh, but statistics is one of those because statistics are easier to remember than words. Everyone can remember an article, even if it's vaguely in the back of their mind where it's like 70% of this, you know, so-and-so says this, not this. Nine out of 10 dentists recommend Oral-B toothbrushes. Other toothbrushes are available. Uh, but, it, you know, it's just like they're easy to remember. So review scores, that's all they are. <laughs> mm. It's just slapping that onto the marketing so you're like oh interesting (laughs) and then you remember (laughs) to put it in very basic terms the review score is to game reviews what the red circle is to a youtube thumbnail (laughs) it is exactly that it is yeah it's if you've ever watched any breakdown channel about any media product (laughs) ever where it's like the red circle and then there's like zoomed in there's like a picture of something that's not even related to the show it's such an art to those thumbnails yeah arrow pointing (laughs) towards it that is what a review score is it's the giant red circle on your game review and um i i genuinely don't know any like i don't know many reviewers that actually like them (laughs) no because they're just like it's just something we have to do man i don't know they're completely arbitrary they don't mean anything (laughs) i think i think in fairness i think the problem i always have whenever i'm forced to use a review score and i say forced very lightly because i haven't had to use one in quite a while is that Mm. i almost feel a lot more pressure when it comes to giving that review score because if it's yeah. just my words and being said, they can be interpreted by the viewer and they can take that how they will. And I can maybe try and provide some clarity. But if it's me going like, this is a four out of five, then I have that in the back of my mind when I do my next uh, next review. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, is it the same? And then that'll change. You know, the problem is that, you know, the sliding factor of your own personal taste will influence you at the time. So, you know, at one one day, if I'm having like, there's a big thing, especially when going to do film reviews, you're always very much, um, at least advice that I've always gotten as to, go to a film with a full stomach, maybe go with some friends because that will inform your overall decision of a film. If you go to a film in a bad mood, you will have a bad time. Um, mm-hmm. So like I could go to Uncharted the film and like, as I mentioned, those people behind me talking kind of ruined the experience a little bit. I had to like actively force myself to be a little bit more engaged in it and enjoy it. But I arguably think that if I went back and saw it another day and there wasn't that noise, I probably would have come out thinking, this is really good. I really enjoyed this. Um, mm. So the, the review score thing only, uh, I suppose, anchors you down to one position and doesn't allow you to move from that position, which is really difficult, especially when your views yeah. are ever evolving. Like even when um, I did review scores for GPN, which used an out of 100 uh, mm. system, which is even more pressure inducing, honestly, because <laughs> that's more numbers to deal with. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like I do review uh, of a game and I'd be like, you know, I really recommend you play this game. And then I'm like, well, what do I say? Like, what number do I give this? You know? Yeah. Because you don't know. They don't mean anything. I don't, like, have a formula where I go through and it's like, well, if I carry the one from, like, my presentation uh, section of this review and I put it over here, you know, it's nothing like that. It's I write the review and then at the end and I'm like, 87. It's, almost, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not even like, yeah it's not even a mark of the game it's more mark of your own work it's like a college rubric in that sense it's like <laughs> you know does it have a good plot structure is it like you, it gets so much to the point of essay analysis where reviewing a game becomes really dull and boring where yeah. you're just like i just want to play this game and i want to say i enjoyed it why do i need to be like oh yeah well i don't know sam drake fell off a roof here and his animation didn't play so i mean that loses a point and it's just like nobody cares nobody's going to run into that you know it's such a personalized yeah. experience it's worth mentioning if that if that's a genuine like issue with yeah. the game. but it's like you know 
no one no one walks into a film and be like, ah, yes, uh, the framing was slightly too far left on this shot. <laughs> Aaron moves a like half a star. You know, is no one cares. <laughs> yeah. Um. <sighs> Let's bring it back to the spotlight section on Uncharted, yes. though, shall we? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to throw that it up to you because... small media theory. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, I've seen the movie, and I've played a little bit of the fourth game recently. Uh, I've been really enjoying it, and I'm looking forward... To, uh, obviously, I know how it ends because I've watched your review on it, um, and I have no problem with knowing how it ends because I think a good story can always mm-hmm. entice a good time, even if you know the ending. Um, are, is there anything particular, at least you not having seen the film, that you're looking for when you go to see Uncharted? That's an interesting question. Uh, personally, the the one the one thing I'd like to see, and this is just my general uh, take on the game, the film needs to have the sense of character that the hmm. games have more than anything, because uh, when we were discussing the film, obviously, you you know you mentioned like if it wasn't titled and tried, it would just be any other generic action movie, and the thing is. The games, they're very generic for the most part. I think only Uncharted 4 isn't, honestly. The rest of them are fairly generic. But they all have that strong sense of character that really helps them stand out on their own, you know? Good character writing mm-hmm. and just, like, good writing in general can really, like, take what is essentially the same four plot beats over and over again and enhance it to be something a lot better. And uh, to, to me what the movie needs to do better than anything is you really need to understand who Nathan Drake is as a character, who mm-hmm. Victor Sullivan is as a character. And it's potentially a little bit harder because the film doesn't have the luxury of 50 plus hours worth of content to do that in, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I, I think that more than anything, you know, cause obviously the, uh, the action set pieces, you know, that's fun, but you know, I, I I don't need to see that. I can see that in any movie. I'm sure it's a core component of the formula. But like, as I as I described it in my Uncharted Two review, that's a million other action movies, most of which star The Rock. You know, <laughs> I don't care. I'm I'm there for the story. I'm there for the characters, and the rest of it's just kind of added on top of that. Yeah, I think specifically when I went in, I was. Obviously, with the little bit of knowledge I had, it was still substantial enough to be like, okay, this is, I know the pacing is going to be bad with this because there's so much stuff that they have to get out. And honestly, it is, it is like that for quite a substantial part of the movie because they've got to get through this whole process of, okay, Sully meets uh, Nathan, Nathan goes on this adventure, you meet all these yeah. other characters. The one thing about the Uncharted games that I've noticed very much is that because they have that longer runtime, there is a lot more presence of, moving from location to location four does this a lot mm-hmm. like you're going from one yeah. island to one area to one place and the movie attempts to do that in some facets but it's not particularly it's not as prevalent as it would be in the games and that makes a lot of sense because of the runtime um i think the actors do a really good job but again the runtime really lets them down when it comes to characterization um mm. they only like i think tom holland and mark Wahlberg only ever really feel like the characters they're playing near the end of the film and that could be just a complete byproduct of the fact that they're doing this establishment origin film. Um, and so obviously they would be a little bit different. Um, like Tom Holland's version of Nathan Drake is a lot more childish than, say, 
the actual game adaptation not to say that nathan drake yeah. isn't this super serious character but he's more of like the <laughs> the charming rogue as opposed like more so like yeah. a harrison ford as opposed to a, a spider-man if that makes sense yeah um, that, that's that that's definitely um because i mean the uncharted films they're a modern indiana jones story hmm. that is what they are you know and uh like you you mentioned kind of like the moving back and forth because that is a big component of the indiana jones where it's like this world-spanning adventure and like the actual moving from location to location is a big element of that. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, no, and like my my honestly my big concern is like that they're not really gonna have the time to really become the character almost. Mm-hmm. Just, and you know, that's probably nothing against uh like Tom Holland or uh, Mark Wahlberg. It's just, you know, that's how the that's just how the movie runtime does things. You know, you have to keep going because you need as much in there as possible to sell tickets you know hmm. but uh yeah no I, I i'm excited to see what it does bring though you know yeah just as well, someone because it's yeah. fresh in my mind <laughs> well two things i came out really impressed by was first of all the choreography and the actual fight sequences which was very important considering it was an uncharted film the only the only thing <laughs> i noticed is um and this isn't really a spoiler of sorts nobody really gets shot with a gun in this film um <laughs> by like one or two scenarios uh, there's, it's obviously with it being that's a 12 rated film I believe that that's the point because I went into the movie with my approach of like the, the the unfortunate problem I had with the first game was the formula was so much like run into this section here's a gallery of people to shoot and then you move on to the next section whereas yeah, <laughs> this film takes get, the approach of like <laughs> yeah they, this this film takes the approach of very much like there's a lot of you know hand combat and you know a lot of parkour and movement which i think is great i really love that sort of style of stuff um and then on the odd few occasions where there is a gunfight and um, the rating really shows it's uh, <laughs> it shows its colors because there's no real particular killing of someone with a gun on mm. screen at least to my memory um which is not it's not necessary but it just seems like a really weird thing for a film that is so based around this gunplay combat that Uncharted yeah because has. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if the if the film wanted to be really accurate to the combat, it would never end. Uh, <laughs> it lasts forever in the games. But uh, yeah, no, that's a that is that is interesting because um, uh, as the games went on, melee combat became a bit more of a thing, hmm. uh, and like they kept they they embraced more of that like Harrison Ford punch up kind of uh, uh, kind of vibe. But yeah, no, um, because. Like a, if you haven't played the Uncharted games, uh, those listening, a lot of it is shooting people. <laughs> it's it's one third great storytelling, one third uh, really good parkour, and one third you're just shooting people. Mm. <laughs> and uh, there's not much else in these games, but um, yeah, it, it's interesting to, uh, to hear that because I was thinking well, there's going to be a lot of guns and like explosions and stuff mm. in this, but to hear that it isn't that much. That that does surprise me, actually. Yeah, hmm. the um the other thing I really liked as well, and this is a byproduct of Sony owning the games, and I suppose subsequently the soundtrack is that the game soundtrack features quite heavily in it. Um, I, I say quite heavily. Nate's theme, which is the the one that everyone knows, uh, plays on a number of occasions, which I I thought was really cool because I, I'm a big stickler in terms of music. I think I had this big problem with the Marvel universe where. Uh, the composers for those films would change so often that there would never be a core theme yeah. for a character. Um, 
and that's always yeah. something I had a problem with going over. Yeah, into... that, that's an interesting one because um, the, the the MCU at least um, I know they they're mostly I think they're mostly done by Giacchino now. Michael Giacchino was very good. Yeah, uh, but yeah, for the longest time I think they would swap around a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, it it makes sense though because the the Uncharted soundtrack is very good. <laughs> it's yeah, very good. No, it is. Yeah, um, like it's. It, I mean, it's composed by Henry Jackman, who is like he does great things. So uh, it it makes sense that they would use it because it's like we gotta we we have four like f- five games of soundtrack composed by Henry. We're using this in a film. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not getting anyone else. No, we're gonna use this. <laughs> the other the other thing as well, at least. I mean, you mentioned the Giacchino for the Marvel stuff. I know the new Doctor Strange film, which he had done the previous work on. It's now Danny Elfman doing the score, which I'm very strange to see if that was strange. Yeah, sorry. Um, I'm I'm very interested to see if there'll be a crossover of themes again, because Danny Elfman, for all accounts, hasn't. At least when he did the DC stuff as well, he never really seemed to care very much what previous composers had done with the themes because i remember no, when he did the original um, justice league there was a complete rewriting of the original superman and the batman themes which he changed because he was like well i've done these ages yeah, ago these are mine like so. i'm just gonna like bring them back to my themes even though you know they don't really fit the film um yeah. but yeah i i know marvel runs a bit of a tight ship with that so hopefully they'll be like no use jake you know theme, please <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean we got to see a lot of that in no way home because giacchino does mm. both the spider-man and the doctor strange film so there was obviously yeah. some good continuity there but i thought it was really cool to see this in the uncharted film i think a lot more video game adaptation stuff could benefit from this like we talk about the halo show that's coming out i mean i was thinking like what the hell is this like this is a thing that the witcher trailer did as well mm. where they had monsters from kanye west or whatever it was as the trailer song and then yeah. it's like, especially because we've seen the first season, we know the show has some really good music. And then this Halo Batman. one comes up and I can't even remember. <laughs> well, the Nirvana one for Batman, I actually quite like. So <laughs> I, I, I like it, but I'm like, okay, listen, you've done four trailers. Mix it up a <laughs> little, was, please. <laughs> did you, um, I think there was the article, I can't remember where I read it. It was like, um, the director of the Batman says he was really inspired by Nirvana. And I was like, no shit, obviously. Like, I, li- so I, li- I, I literally quote retweeted that. And I was like, really? What gave that away? <laughs> hmm. um, but yeah, no, I, that's something I kind of hope. Because obviously the Halo TV show had some rendition of some song. I can't remember, but it wasn't anything to do with Halo. And you're thinking like, imagine how chill and juicing that would be yeah. for people who understand that series to have heard like the Halo theme or something yeah. like that. And I'm hoping, because the Halo I, I hope, phenomenal. I hope, well... Now I just want to double check this. Wasn't there something with Halo composers that they wanted more royalties or something, and they were threatening to potentially like slow down the release of the show or something? I just want to double check that real quick. Hmm. Um, I don't remember that specifically. I, I remember yeah. uh, original Halo composers sue Microsoft over unpaid royalties dating back twenty years and instruct lawyers to explore Halo TV show injunction. Yeah, is so this there was the, like, the whole Marty O'Donnell situation, isn't it? Uh, I believe this might be the yeah. This is still the Marty O'Donnell yeah, yeah. situation, but uh, but yeah, no, uh, like it, it's it's especially weird with video games where like every character has a song that's associated with mm-hmm. them. You know, it, it especially in trailers. I'm like, hey, you know, most people are probably gonna like even the casual audience that don't really care about video games. They'll have at least heard about some of these soundtracks before. And even not, a lot of them are good soundtracks. Like, yeah. the Halo soundtrack, 
that'll get people interested in a show. <laughs> yeah. The video, the video game soundtrack thing is always weird because it's either the company holds on to the royalties or the individual holds on to it, and that's always yeah. a strange. Obviously, in my mind, I would love if the individual always held on to them because I believe they've put in that most work, and then you know they've done all this, and you know they should be fairly compensated if that music is used again. Um, mm-hmm. I think the most recent thing I had was when Mick Gordon was doing the music for doom eternal and they were trying to rush him i think in some cases to get the eternal soundtrack mm. out which still isn't out because of the disputes between them and he obviously didn't do the dlc music that was andrew holchot and david levy so yeah it, it's a real mixed bag of stuff and i don't think with the with the industry i think being so new i think there's a lot of i suppose discussion around that area of royalties in it that needs to yeah. be had and uh I mean that that's one I, I reckon that will probably come to a head in the next few years mm. as we expand as gaming expands more into like other mediums, you know. I think that's yeah. where that kind of stuff will be ironed out. But mm. uh yeah, no, I mean it, it makes total sense that the Uncharted movies were using Henry Jackman's score <laughs> because why wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah. I think while we're on the topic of music for stuff, I wanna briefly say, did you see that uh, supposedly John Williams is coming back to do the Obi-Wan series. Yes, I did see that. I nearly had yeah. a heart attack because I woke up and saw John Williams <laughs> trending on Twitter and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, because he just celebrated his 90th birthday and it's not the news you'd want, would it be? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, but yeah, no. Um, yeah, that, that's really cool. Uh, yeah. Because, I mean, it's John Williams. <laughs> mm. I think, yeah, no. Just to bring it back to the Uncharted film before we finish this off, I think overall you know a fun time i think people should go and see it if they're interested in the property um, and yeah. you'll get the sort of stuff that you're looking for realistically which is you'll see nathan drake and victor sullivan on screen whether you agree with the casting or not i actually think they did a fine job in the end and it was something i was like because i was worried i would go in and think that's tom holland that's spider-man i can't take that seriously and i actually went in there and i was like you know what it's a decent there's a decent differentiation between them so i can actually enjoy this as a mm-hmm. nathan drake film um and the overall sort of plot, it does ring very true, I think, uh, at least in the way it's done to the first Uncharted game. There's obviously, they're ho- they're going after um, Magellan's Lost Treasure, which I believe is the whole plot of the fourth game, um, if I'm not mistaken. Or no, that was... Uh, um, that was Captain oh, The fourth Aaron's one's the... the Libertalia. Yeah, Captain Aaron. Yeah, so there's... <laughs> I mean, there's different differentiations between a lot of stuff here, but I'm... I'm I'm hopeful that it's it's a good step. Obviously, because it's a Sony property, and again, this isn't really a spoiler, there is a mid-credit sequence, so stick around for that, which I think is so weird, like, that Sony always has to try and ham-fist in this next movie into a thing. Um, it looks perfectly fine, to be honest. I mean, if there's a second Uncharted movie, that'd be kind of cool, but I'm not up for an Uncharted cinematic universe or something. Who knows? In 10 years' time, we will get the multiverse where Aloy comes out of a portal or something and meets Nathan Drake, and that will be an absolute mindfuck of a moment. And people will be like, how did we get fu- here? They'll fully uh, Infinity War it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that, I suppose, concludes our loose spotlight segment on Uncharted, <laughs> amongst other things. Yes. Um, to finish off, I want to kind of um, quickly run through uh, the socials of both of us here first. Uh, obviously, for if you're listening to the podcast, you already are familiar with Gaming Sandbox. You can find us on Twitter, uh, Instagram, at Gaming Sandbox underscore, on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, at Gaming Sandbox. Um, and of course, we have a Patreon as well, which we advertised earlier on the show. You can find all the links to those down in the description below. 
below. I'm going to bring it off over to the main man now himself, Kane Plays Games. Where can we find your amazing work online? Hello. You can find me primarily on YouTube at uh, well, Kane Plays Games over there. Uh, we do review content. Uh, we have a review series called How Bad Can It Be? Uh, it started off as me playing terrible Steam games, and now we're just playing kind of everything and keep it because it's a nice clickbait title. Uh, but yeah, we go through uh, pretty much whatever whatever games I happen to uh, be playing uh, over on my Twitch, which is Gameplays Games underscore because Twitch won't let me remove the underscore. Thanks, Twitch. Uh, but yeah, you know, we're, we're streaming games over there. We've just gone through the entire Uncharted series. Uh, we've done the Resident Evil series. That's kind of a one that most people know before now unintentionally that's kind of the franchise i'm most associated with i guess uh but yeah no that that's a lot of fun uh, we're going into the batman series over the next couple of weeks because that film's coming out as well so uh trying to tie it in and then we're doing halo because well the halo tv show decided to uh, come out in march instead of june like i thought it was going to so that's nice i didn't need a break or anything thanks halo. <laughs> but yeah aside from that you can find me on twitter gameplays games i tweet utter nonsense over there honestly uh mostly posting photo mode and how i'm wasting my time when i'm playing these games that i'm covering just taking pretty pictures and instead of uh actually sticking to my schedule <laughs> but yeah that's where you can find me <laughs> Well, plenty of great content to come from you in the future anyway, so please be sure to go and check out Kane's socials. We'll have them linked down below as well. Thanks a million, Kane, for joining us this week anyways, and we Not will see you dude. all next week. 